Oh, sorry. No well, good morning, everyone. Um, so this week and next week, um, I'm going to be sharing with you a little bit about something I've been kind of pondering and thinking about for the last few months. And the title for this week and next week is Following Jesus in the Digital Age. So following Jesus in the digital age. And something that I've really started to think about over the last couple of months is um, just about the growth in technology and specifically digital technology in our lives. And I've just started to really think about what ways that might be shaping us, kind of how we think and how we interact with you know, our friends and family and people that we know. And so um, this morning, I just want to share some, you know, some thoughts about that. And then next week, we'll, we'll look a little bit more specifically about some ways that we can really um, integrate some of this um, thinking about digital technology into actively following Jesus. But before I go any further, if you brought a digital device of some kind with you to church this morning. I want you to hold it up. That could be a phone, a laptop, a Kindle. I see a Kindle. I see that hand. Um, Anybody else? Who brought more than one? Quite a a few people. No, you don't have to be embarrassed. This isn't, this isn't. All right, so we have Okay, so put your hand up again if you did bring at least one piece of digital technology with you. Might be easier. If you didn't bring a piece of digital technology, put your hand up. Okay. So I think those who brought something to church definitely were in the majority there by quite quite some ways. So just a little straw poll right there, just to show that okay, digital technology is is part of our lives. And of course you um you don't know don't need me to tell you that. And uh you know, over the last ten years it's amazing um, how much this has grown and come into our lives. So you can't, you know, escape the fact in the last 10 years that our TVs have gotten thinner but a lot wider. And so there's a lot more kind of screen screen there. Our, our phones have generally gotten smaller, but they've gotten a lot smarter. They know a lot more about us than they used to. And even though, you know, even though this thing is wireless, I still feel like I'm more wired to the Internet than I ever was before. And so there's a lot kind of going on with uh, digital technology. And I just kind of wanted to talk about that for a couple of weeks and just kind of, if, if nothing else, maybe stir your, your brain and have you think a little bit about um, what, it, what that means for our spiritual lives, what it means for our emotional lives, what it means for us when we actively think about following Jesus. So that's, that's kind of the next two weeks. And it's one of those topics where, you know, it's pretty clear when we read the Bible, when we read the New Testament, that Jesus did not have to deal with his iPod playlist. And he didn't have um, social media accounts to manage and Facebook updates to post. And he also didn't have to check the Internet to know the weather for that day. And so because, because of that, what we, what we need to do when we read Scripture is think about, okay, if there's no direct examples of Jesus managing digital media, to give us an example, in what way can the Bible tell us how to manage and think about digital technology? And the reality is it's one of those topics that we look at Scripture with a very keen eye for principles about how to live, principles about how to shape our lives and govern our lives. And so in a little bit, we'll get into that. 
But before we go any further, I want to share some statistics with you. And these are statistics from about two years ago, so January 2010. And they're drawn from um, the Kaiser Family Foundation. So that's quite a well-known foundation. They do a lot of research on lots of different aspects of life in the, in the U.S., and every, you know, once in a while they'll update with lots of statistics about kind of what's going on in our culture. And so it's to do with lots and lots of things. But one of the things that they track, um, every five years they put out this big report on digital technology use, specifically for 8 to 18-year-olds. Okay, so first of all, we're going to kind of pick on the kids a little bit and talk about their digital technology use. And, and you're going to be like, ah, oh, typical children. I mean, we would expect them to use gadgets, right? But I think, I think you'll see in a moment that you're probably going to see a lot of ourselves in these numbers. And in a minute, we'll talk about the fact that we're all, we're all guilty because we all really like shiny, fast phones and technology. So anyway, here's some, here's some, just some statistics from, okay, so they're about two years old at this point. And what they're doing is tracking not just digital technology use in January 2010, but they're also looking back and looking for patterns and seeing changes since, since the time they did this survey before, which was five years earlier in 2005. So what they did is they saw that between 2005 and 2010, there was a really large increase in the use of digital technology in 8 to 18-year-olds. So you're probably saying, well, I mean, that's pretty obvious. I mean, we all kind of see that, right? But they actually went in and, and kind of measured it in a more detailed way. So in 2005, 8 to 18-year-olds spent, on average, 6 hours and 21 minutes a day using digital media. Now, what they also do is they track, because we all know that, you know, we don't just, like, have our laptop open and check on Facebook, but we also might be, um, you know, might have the TV on or we might also be listening to music. A lot of digital technology use is multitasking. So we're doing more than one thing at one time. And so when you add up, when you kind of pull those strands apart and then you add up all the time, all those individual tasks went, it actually was more like in 2005 that um, young people were doing um, eight, eight and a half hours instead of six and a half hours because they were kind of jamming more technology use in there. So what was that like then in 2010 if we saw an increase? Well, it, the overall use went from, from six hours and 21 minutes a day on average to seven hours and 38 minutes. So it went up you know, easily well, over, over an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes a day. But the huge increase came in multitasking because we're fitting more things into that time space than ever before. So when you pull all of that out and all of those different digital tasks, it was more like 10 hours and 45 minutes a day was spent with digital technology and digital media. So what types of things are we talking about? Well, well really the largest use is still TV. So television is the biggest, then music, then using computers, and then video games. One huge jump has been the increase in mobile technology. So it's at the point a couple of years ago where 20% of all digital media use was on cell phones or iPods or, I guess, not iPads. Amazingly, though, this report doesn't include time that 8 to 18-year-olds actually spent calling each other on phones because that's really old school, and you would never want to do that. And also didn't include the amount of time they spent texting. Um, interestingly, patterns, uh, they said youth, they spent more time with digital media, reported lower grades and lower levels of personal contentment. Um, 
and they also find that um, parents played a really significant role in helping young people set appropriate boundaries for their digital technology use. That they find that without parents coming in and setting appropriate boundaries, it was just not really a good sense of like, okay, I should probably stop. I should probably be done doing this now and move on to something else. And that the largest, in that group of 8 to 18 year olds, the largest digital media user category was 11 to 14 year olds. So that's where you see the spike. So for some of us, we're like, hey, I am well past 8 to 18. You know, like those days are long gone. But I think we all know kids in our families or even in this church that this is a really big deal for. A separate survey from um, a couple of months ago by the Pew Internet and American Life Foundation found that um, in 2011 that 30% of 12 to 17 year olds had shared at least one password to an email Facebook or Twitter account with a friend or a boyfriend or girlfriend. And the girls were twice as likely as boys to share this information. So it's becoming a rite of passage in relationships for teenagers to share a password with their best friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And so obviously that's kind of a somewhat disturbing trend as well if people are getting into each other's you know, Facebook accounts or, or what have you and just that sense of like, okay, so something's changing here where that didn't exist when I was a teenager, and for most of us, you know, that wasn't something that we had to think about and wrestle through. Um, also, 12 to 17-year-olds send and receive about five times more text messages a day than adults. So of course, it's pretty subjective. But in general, almost one-third of teens send more than 100 texts a day. So if you add that up, that's about 3,000 texts a month which suddenly those TV ads where they talk about unlimited texting really made a lot more sense to me. Let's say, so that, I'm like, who, who needs unlimited texting? But if you've got more than one teenager in the house, you're going to need unlimited texting. So you might want to check your, uh, your uh, cell phone plans. So, so you might say, oh yeah, the kids, kids these days, they'll do that type of thing. But uh, I think for us, we all know that we really love the internet and we really love our smartphones and we just really love using all this stuff. So in general, 78% of adults use the internet. And when we're online, we're mostly, as adults, we're mostly emailing, searching for information, like checking the weather, getting directions, checking the news. And we're a little bit different in our use than teenagers. Teenagers are mostly using social media. They are also trying to find the latest news or maybe researching information for homework or what have you. But in general, they're using the internet for social media and connecting with friends. And one other big difference in, in how teens use the web is they really are into um, collaborating with each, with each other and creating. So um, when teens, when they create something, a lot of them are creating digitally, and then they're sharing it with their friends. And so that's a big difference because as adults, we're not really sharing stuff that we've created so much. But for teens, that's like a really big deal. And it's this emerging what's called a participatory culture where and the internet really rewards this, and we'll get into this more next week, but if you are creative and an extrovert, then the internet and social media really rewards those habits, and it's encouraging our teens to really develop those. And so that's really going to change the workforce in 10, 15 years' time when all of these um, you know, kids are coming in, and they've been used to, from their like 8, 9, 10, 11, creating videos and songs and music and all of these different things and sharing them with each other. And so I think that's kind of exciting myself. I think it's really cool. But uh, these are just some of the ways in which there's a shift that's happening in our culture. Um, so this survey from a couple of months ago said that 84% of adults 
owned a cell phone, of which a third of adult, a third of that number was owning a smartphone. So the growth in smartphones is really starting to show. Uh, interestingly, 15% of adults did not know if the phone they owned was a smartphone. <laughs> <coughs> Um, those adults that have smartphones, 72% of us say that we love our smartphones. We have only positive feelings towards our smartphones. 16, only 16% of people said that they felt negative thoughts towards their cell phone. However, 29% admitted to having turned their phone off to get a break. I love this one. 13% have pretended to use their phone to avoid interacting with the people around them. (laughs) Any takers? Anybody? We got got a couple. All right. And 34% had difficulty doing a recent task because they did not have their phone with them. Oh, man, we're so dependent on our phones. So... You know, what is, what is this all getting to? Well, I think we all know that digital technology really plays a big role in our lives, and it's kind of seeped into our lives. And over the last especially five, ten years, we've kind of just said, said yes to digital technology coming into our lives in a bigger and bigger role. And um, often it's really hard to stop and think. And our culture, our society doesn't really allow us to do this. But we don't often stop and think about in what ways is this shaping us? In what, in what ways is this kind of changing um, the way we think about ourselves, the way we think about others, the way we think about God? And really these, this Sunday and next is just kind of trying to take a time out and say, okay, let's just at least think about it for, for a minute and, and realize that you know, digital technology really does have this, this pretty strong influence in our lives. Um, you know, you might, in some ways, you might wonder how we got here. And, and there's, you know, just technology culture is always changing. And so at some point in, in, in the development of culture, like books, was cutting it, that was cutting-edge technology. And so the invention of the printing press in, um, you know, in, what, the 1500s in Europe, I mean, that was, that was a huge shift forward. And so cultures will, will kind of gradually, over time, move forward. But every once in a while, there's a moment in a culture or a society where there's this huge jump forward, where there's this massive leap forward in technology and this massive leap forward in how information is shared. And so, um, so the invention of the printing press was part of that. So, I mean, that was huge for Christianity because suddenly, you know, all of these different um, copies of the Bible could be printed off and distributed rapidly. And, um, you know, sermons could be printed off and distributed. And it really helped to fuel the Reformation in Europe. And so that was a huge game changer. And when books suddenly, suddenly were available to be printed everywhere, there was this huge explosion in printed information. And in Europe, people really panicked because they were like, there is now too much information in the world. How are we going to deal with all of this information? Does this sound familiar at all? Because today, people think we're in this similar moment where, you know, we're like the, you know, the equivalent of the printing press, but just magnified because of the growth of the Internet. And never before have we had so much information available to us all the time. We carry around in our pockets the ability to tap into more information than any time in history. Um, just unbelievable amounts of information we can access at the touch of a button that people had never even dreamed possible before. There's more information that we can access in this than all the libraries in all the world up until what, a few hundred years ago. I mean, there's just so much information. It's unbelievable. And, and, and as a culture and a society, and even as individuals, we have to kind of get our, kind of get our minds wrapped around that fact. And it does take time. 
And it took time after the invention of the printing press in Europe for people to kind of figure out, like, how do we deal with all these books? Like, what do we do with this? And so we figured out, you know, well, let's have public libraries and let's organize it. And we came up with, a, you know, the, the system in libraries to kind of archive all of this information. And we kind of figured out, okay, this is how we deal with all this information. And we're at a moment um, today where there's so much digital information. And we're still figuring out what's the best way for us to understand it all and to even get our brains wrapped around it. And in many ways, we're still early in this process. We're really early in trying to figure out what, as a culture, are we, do we even think about the Internet? And, and we think we really like it up to this point, but we're starting to see that maybe, maybe it's not all good. So let's take a step back, and um, let's really take a step back from all of this thinking about digital technology, and let's consider two visions from the Bible of how to live life. And then we'll kind of loop back to digital technology to wrap up. But I wanted to talk about a couple of um, pictures from the Bible of how we can live our lives, of how we can really live as Christians. And um, hopefully this will make sense as we connect it back to digital technology in a moment. When we look at the Bible, like I said earlier, we can't pick up the Gospel of Matthew and see that Jesus only spent a certain amount of time online every day. And then he spent the rest of that time teaching and preaching. That just doesn't exist, right? So we have to be able to bring principles from Scripture to speak into our lives. And one way I'd like to do that is to just have us think about an image from the book of Psalms of how to live our lives. So let's look at um, Psalm 1 together, and um, hopefully we'll be able to read that together. And this is from the NIV, and we'll just read along. And... uh, It said, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. His delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. And that person is like a tree that is planted by streams of water, yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And so I really wanted to focus in on verse 3. And there's a picture here um, of, of essentially how to live life. And it's very, it echoes... Um, you know, the story in the Old Testament where uh, Moses has just died and he's led the people right to the edge of the promised land. And in Joshua chapter one, we see this transferring over of Joshua picking up where Moses had left off. And what is Joshua told? He's told to meditate on God's word and that will give him the strength that will give him the ability to lead the people into their destiny, into the promised land. In a very, very similar way, Psalm 1 is, is pushing us back to thinking about God's word and meditating on God's word. And think about the uh, image of the tree planted um, by the stream of water. And I want you to kind of visualize what that might look like, that a tree is planted by this stream of water. And as you can imagine in um, ancient Israel, 
that water was at a premium. There's a lot of dusty, arid places. There's a lot of, um, you know, animals would, you know, shepherds would lead the animals from watering hole to different places. And it'd be very important, like knowing where the source of water was, was very important. And this tree that's planted by that stream of water. And you can imagine that the roots will go deeper and deeper, closer to the water, wanting to tap in to that supply of water. That's the only thing that's going to refresh that tree and keep that tree alive. And as those roots go down, we know that this tree is healthy. We know it's healthy for a couple of reasons. One, we know because this verse says that its leaf does not wither. The leaf on this tree does not wither. No matter what comes against the tree, the leaf does not wither. It's a sign of constant vitality, of constant refreshing, of constant health. The other reason we know that this tree is healthy is because it bears fruit in season. And right throughout the Bible, this cool concept of bearing fruit is uh, an image that's used to talk of our lives. It's an image that's used to talk about us producing um, things in our life that are an outpouring of what's deep inside of us. So Jesus talked about you'll know that, you know, if someone is essentially good because you'll see good fruit in their lives. You'll know if someone is not good, you'll see fruit that's not good in their lives. We're familiar with the passage in Galatians, the fruit of the spirit. So there's this whole idea of fruit as an outward sign of what's in your heart and what's kind of in the inner person um, of who you are. And so this picture of the tree with deep roots, who's constantly living in vitality because the leaf does not wither, and who produces fruit when it's appropriate to produce fruit in its life, this is a picture of the Christian life, that our roots go down deep, into God and into his word, that our leaf does not wither, that we're constantly being fed by streams of living water, and that we produce fruit that's appropriate in our lives. This is an image that is so far removed from our digital technology world that I want you to see the contrast. There's another image that I want us to think about, and it's found in James chapter 1. And one way that you can tell in your own life kind of how deep your roots are and if your leaf is withering and if you're producing fruit is when trials come, what types of things come out of your life? When there's difficulty that hits, what types of things are unearthed? What types of things are drawn out of you? And that's what this passage in James 1 really talks about. So starting at verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. There's another image presented in this passage of Scripture, the image of somebody who is not like a tree with deep roots, whose leaf doesn't wither and whose fruit comes in season. It's an image of a person who's like a wave that the wind just blows around from place to place. And I know you can all picture a wave on Lake Michigan or on the ocean, and it's just, it just kind of moves around. Constantly in motion. There's nothing solid about that wave. It just is kind of blown around by the wind. 
And what this passage in James is talking about is when trials come and you need wisdom and you need to develop perseverance and you need to develop this ability to withstand and to grow and to reach maturity, to produce fruit in your life, that there's nothing of substance there because you're just being blown around. You're just being blown around. You're like a wave just being tossed around. And what I would suggest is that our digital age pushes us in the direction of James 1 rather than Psalm 1. That our digital world and the technology that we, that we use every day is pushing us to be like the wave instead of like the tree. And that, that we have to be really careful that we don't end up like the wave. Just kind of like, oh yeah, I was on this blog and I heard this guy say this and it was really cool. But then I clicked on the link to the next thing and then what they said seemed cool too. So yeah, I think I agree with both of them. It's like, well, if you really read it, you would realize that that's not right. You know, you can't hold both opinions. And that's just one small example. But in general, our lifestyles are being shaped by digital technology so that we don't put down deep roots, but that we constantly are moving around. Uh, Nicholas Carr has written a pretty influential book within the last couple of years called The Shallows. And he's not necessarily writing from a Christian perspective. He may be a Christian, but that's not kind of the, the flow that he's putting into his work. Um, he's a journalist, and he, write, he writes um, out of concern because he noticed in his own, he's a writer, and he noticed that he wasn't able to concentrate on things like he used to be able to. And he noticed a lot of other friends that he had who were writers and would think about culture and society. They were saying the same thing. Like when they would get together, they'd be like, you know, I opened a book that I was really excited to read, and I couldn't make it past the third chapter. Because I just got really, I just got really bored. And I used to be able to sit down and read a whole book almost in one sitting. And he was like, what is going on with that? And he's really started to talk about the fact that he really started to talk with his friends and people he knew who were kind of experiencing similar things. And then he wrote this book called The Shallows, kind of out of that experience. And, and he's really, his concern is that as a culture, we're losing the ability to think deeply. We're losing the ability to sit down and read a book. And he's really, what he's really worried about is that there are some things in life, and now we can, we can apply this to our own spiritual lives. There are some things in life and some issues that we face that take time to think through. They take time to meditate through. You might need to read some stuff that kind of challenges, you know, your mind as you have to think through and follow along. And there are some arguments and some conversations and some discussions that just take more than 140 characters that need to be worked out over time. And as a culture, he's saying, look, I'm not sure, you know, we're going to be able to do this in 10, 20, 30, 50 years time. I'm not sure that we're going to be able to just sit down and have a really in-depth discussion. And that has all sorts of ramifications for culture. And he may or may not be right on with it, but he's at least saying, look, we need to at least think about the fact that, you know, we all feel like really distracted these days. And um, it is harder than ever to really sit down and think about stuff. He goes so far as to say that our brains may become physically altered over time to really respond to all of the stimuli that the Internet gives us. You know, because when you're online, you're not really reading, you're skimming and you're going from link to link to link. And we've all had that happen where like you sit down to check one news story and 45 minutes later, you're like, how on earth did I get to ESPN from the BBC? And I didn't even. And you say, like, I can't even think of one meaningful thing I read in the last 45 minutes. And, and that's kind of what kind of the Internet encourages. Uh, Shane Hips, um, writing as a pastor in a book called Flickering Pixels a couple of years ago, describes the problem, the same problem, but he describes it a different way. 
Um, and we're in, we're in what's called the digital age, or it can also be called the information age, because the digital age gives us so, so much information. And he said, unfortunately, this is uh, Shane Hip's writing, he said, unfortunately, the information age does little to encourage the development of wisdom. Developing wisdom requires time, experience, contemplation, patience, suffering, and even stillness to obtain but the churning sea of information never settles long enough to allow for the emergence of wisdom. See, there's something happening to us where we just feel a certain level of pressure to always stay connected, to always be on, and a feeling of discontent deep at our core. And this manifests itself when we obsessively check our email, when we're posting Facebook updates about what we're doing while we're doing them, which kind of takes away from what we were doing in the first place. Uh, checking our social media just to make sure that we're still in touch with what all our friends are doing and this deep sense of panic you feel when you can't find your cell phone. So next week we'll talk a little bit more about how do we integrate digital technology into our lives and there is a positive side as well. Digital technology gives us the ability to connect with others in a way that is just unheard of up to this point in history. So this, this, these two weeks are not bashing digital technology because there is some positive to it as well. The goal is to help us think about managing it because let's be honest, nobody really wants to get rid of digital technology. We love the internet way too much. We love our smartphones way too much. We're not going to give them up. And frankly, we don't have to. You know, you can live a fully Christian life and still have an iPhone and that's fine. And we just need to think about ways to integrate. So kind of to wrap up, I kind of just brainstormed some, and this is not like a scientific survey or anything, but just 10 ways that the internet and digital technology is shaping us. So it's just kind of, if you can just think about these even briefly as I'm saying them. And uh, next week we'll think about 10 ways that we can kind of think um, positively about these things. So uh, these are in no particular order but uh, just some thoughts that I had. So 10 ways the internet and digital technology is shaping us. Number one, constant change is the only way to live life. So it's just constantly moving forward. You just got a 3G phone, that's great, but um, 4G just came out and that's way better. And the iPad 3 is probably gonna come out next month, so anybody that bought an iPad 2, sorry, you are out of luck. Constantly changing. Number two, we must be connected 24-7. You always have to be connected. You never want to miss out on that latest Facebook update that everyone else is going to read except for you. Number three, if it isn't fast and shiny, then it doesn't matter. Number four, you must adopt the latest technology or you are an outsider. Number five, access to knowledge has become a human right. So think about that. In developing countries, one of their biggest priorities is to get broadband internet. Knowledge has become a human right around the world. Number six, a friend is not classified as anyone you ever met. People you kind of met, people you know really well, or maybe someone you hope to meet one day. Seven, technology will only make your life better. Number eight, you matter most when you say something. So especially in social media, if you don't say anything, it's as if you don't exist. And so in social media, it doesn't matter what you say, 
you can tell me what you had for lunch, or you can tell me that this extremely important life event happened to you. It's all the same. It doesn't matter. The goal, the main thing is that you actually contribute something. And uh, internet, social media doesn't really discriminate. It just wants you to do something. The worst thing is to stay silent. Number nine, multitasking is the new normal. If you're not doing more than one thing at once, then come on. Like, what are you doing? You're wasting time. And number 10, only the present and the future matters. The past is completely irrelevant, including the iPad one, which is way, way old. So some things to think about for next week. Um, you know, it's clear we're in this new digital information technology age, and it's reaching into every area of our lives, including our spiritual lives. And so we'll talk a little bit more directly about that next week. Um, so f- between now and next Sunday, just just monitor your technology use. Think about it a little bit more proactively. Just think about, you know, how much, how much time am I spending, you know, on my phone, on the computer? And not, not like, oh, I'm such a horrible person for doing all of this, but just... You know, you might not have ever thought about how much time you spend. Maybe you have, but just think about that a little bit. And then next week, we'll really get into, in more depth, how we integrate digital technology into our lives and how it affects our spiritual lives. So I just want to pray as we close. Father, we just thank you so much for all that you have given us. We thank you so much that we live in an age that is exciting, that does have a lot of change and a lot of information at our fingertips. God, would you help us to be good stewards of all of it, God? Would you help us to know how to embrace it and how to use digital technology as we seek to follow you, Jesus? Pray that you would just bless everyone who is here, God, this week. You would watch over them and that you would allow your word to penetrate their hearts so that they would become like a tree planted by the streams of water whose roots go down deep, that leaf, their leaf does not wither and they produce fruit in its season. In your name I ask it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Greg.